Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And today I have an incredible conversation with one of the greatest endurance athletes in the world. Surf Ironman, Olympic swimmer, professional sailor, Kai Hurst. Kai discusses his early success in the world of Surf Ironman and his dream of one day going to the Olympics, of which he made happen twice. We discuss his transition to professional sailing and sailing the incredible F-50 catamaran, the fastest class of boat in the world. It goes up to 100 kilometers an hour, 50 knots on the water. Absolutely remarkable. Kai shares some of his training, including an epic swim set like 5100s in a 50-meter pool, holding under 102s and leaving on the 110 for 40 and then leaving on the 105 for the final 10. Just absolutely incredible, mind-boggling how incredible that swim set is. With 24 years as a professional athlete in three sports, there was a lot to cover in this one. So you'll leave this episode with just a true understanding of the mind of a, a champion, just truly one of the great champions of the world. Now, some housekeeping before we go on. Please, if you can, uh, review on Apple Podcast or give me your feedback um, on social media. On Instagram, I'm The Greg Bennett Show. And on Twitter, it's just at Greg Bennett Show. Uh, you can find the show notes and timestamps, coupon codes, and links at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. That's bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. It was absolutely fantastic. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. If you're enjoying the show, you can support by supporting the show's sponsors. All of these products I'm using regularly. You see, these past few months, I've become even more conscious about my metabolic health, my nutrition, supplementation, movement, sleep and recovery, and, and social interaction. And I found the support for my metabolic health with these sponsors, Athletic Greens, Hyper Ice, and Continua G. Athletic Greens is a green drink source from Whole Foods that actually tastes great. It's delivered straight to your door. And it's highly absorbable powder, which takes seconds to mix with water. So there's no clumpiness to deal with. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins and minerals. It's packed with aptogens for recovery and probiotics and digestive enzymes for gut health. And vitamin C and zinc citrate for immune support. So Athletic Greens is designed to help fill the nutritional gaps in your diet. It's NSF certified for sport, no harmful chemicals, no GMOs, and no funny additives. Honestly, I can't recommend Athletic Greens enough. Whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system, or address gut health, now's the perfect time to try Athletic Greens for yourself. A number of my guests that I've had on the show take Athletic Greens regularly, including Timothy O'Donnell, Marinda Carfrey, Tim Don, and Sebastian Kinley, amongst others. There's a great offer going on now for you to give it a try. Simply go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg to claim our special offer of 20 free daily travel packets with your first purchase a $79 added value, and get Athletic Greens delivered straight to your door. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Now, with two kids and a business to run, time is limited. In the past, when I was a professional athlete with no kids, I'd line up the massages throughout the week to help with recovery and those niggling injuries. But now, I only use the various recovery tools from Hyperice. They work, they're easy to use, and they're time efficient. My go-to is the Hypervolt, the world's most powerful percussion massage device featuring quiet glide technology. Their vibrating foam rollers, thermal technology, and Normatec compression systems help you warm up faster, recover quicker, and simply 
move better. With Christmas fast approaching, yes, it's almost here, high-priced products make the perfect gift for anybody in your life that you want to help support, get them, and keep them moving. Get $50 off all percussion devices now, no code needed, and get an additional 10% off with code GREG10 at hyperice.com. That's hyperice.com, H-Y-P-E-R-I-C-E.com, and use code GREG10 for 10% off. Finally, you're not going to believe this, but I have a new sponsor that doesn't sell anything. They just want to educate. It's called theglutathionreporter.com. That's theglutathionreporter.com. You can find them in my show notes. Why are they doing this? Well, it appears that medical doctors, scientists, college professors are sticklers for accurate information. (laughs) And instead of complaining or getting into Twitter battles, these guys just build a website to reach out and teach people everything you want to know about glutathione. The reason I'm interested, and this is important, is that most consumers are wasting time and money on dietary supplements that don't work. And the best way to prevent this is to do your homework, form your own opinion, and make more informed decisions. So go to theglutathionreporter.com. All right, today's guest is one of the greatest endurance athletes the world has ever seen. For 24 years, he's competed as a professional athlete across three sports. He stormed onto the Australian sporting scene as a teenager, winning his first of four Ironman Super Series titles at the age of 17. He went on to win seven Australian Ironman titles and 30 Australian surf titles. He was inducted into the Surf Lifesaving Hall of Fame and is known as one of Surf Lifesaving's greatest ever all-round competitors. He went on to represent Australia at the 2008 Beijing Olympics and the 2012 London Olympics in the 10K open water swim. And he was second at the 98 and 2011 World Championships for the 5K open water swim. He won 10 open surf titles from 11 starts, solidifying in many experts' minds that he's the greatest surf swimmer the world has ever seen. In recent years, he transitioned to his third professional sport of sailing, competing for Oracle Team USA at the last America's Cup. He's now a member of the Australian Sail GP team who in 2019 won the inaugural season and the $1 million winner-takes-all championship. Wow. I'm simply exhausted looking at that resume. (laughs) On top of that, he's one of the best men you could meet, a down-to-earth humble champion. So I'm honored to have him on the show. Welcome and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show. Kai Hurst. How are you, mate? Greg, what a wrap. Thanks, Fred. I feel like going for a 10K run now. <laughs> <laughs> mate, it's just, it's like I said, I'm exhausted reading it. You've been busy 24 years. It's just absolutely incredible. Gosh, We've got a bit to cover, it, mate. Has it been that long? <laughs> <laughs> and you're only 39. Yeah. And you're only 39. You've got another five, six years of endurance sport in you if you want. Uh, at least, yeah, <laughs> at least I like that. Now, we first met, what was that, back in the late 90s when you, you'd, you'd come on to the Uncle Toby Super Series. and uh, summer. One yeah. summer. But, but did we do a photo shoot for, was it Rival Swimsuits or something? Yeah, I think we did. I think <laughs> that's sure, when I first I'm sure, met. I'm sure mum's got the catalogue somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Oh mate, it's just it's just been absolutely incredible to watch you over these years, and 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 I think the last time we met's probably oh it's a while ago now, mm, um, but been. just to see yep. to see what you've done, absolutely amazing. I I want to start with first congratulating you on the most recent thing, which is you you sail GP, and tell us a little bit about 
what Sale GP is for listeners, because there's a bit of a, a triathlon type community, endurance community, and Sale GP might be new to a lot of people. Um, just tell us a bit about what that is and what your role has been in that. Yeah, uh, I guess it, Sale GP and, and what it is, it's kind of formed off the back of the last America's Cup. So in the last America's Cup, part of this one now, um, we were foiling in, in, a, in a catamaran, a 50-foot catamaran. And so these, these yachts are the fastest yachts in the world. We hit close to 100 k's on the water and it's all wind generated and power generated through, through handles uh, on the boat. And um, so basically what has happened is that um, Larry Ellison, um, who owns pretty much Sail GP, took all, back, all, all the boats back, uh, back to New Zealand. Uh, they're modified at core, uh, boat building factory over there. Um, now we have six teams and we travel the world racing. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's quite hectic. There's uh, only five on board now, not six. Um, and so my role uh, being position one at the bow, um, I'm generating power for the wing, so I'm trimming the wing. So I'm in, in constant communication with the wing trimmer who's in position four. And um, basically what we're doing is we're trying to create pressure on the sail so that when I say the wing, the wing is the main sail of the yacht. Uh, and these things, uh, they're designed to foil. So we don't, you know, the, the best race for us is the race that we never touch the hull. So um, basically we keep the hulls out of the water and, uh, and the foils in the water as best as we can and, um, yeah, and try and rip around wherever we are. We've got a been to some amazing locations around the world and uh you know this year has has definitely thrown a um mm. a brick brick in the works and uh, unfortunately all the races had been cancelled um so season two after winning season one in france and wrapping up season one was was epic and uh season two now all kicks off in san francisco in late april of next year mate i Doing some homework for this, watching the America's Cup the last, you know, the last time around, it's absolutely insane what the what these boats are doing. And I don't know if anybody gets a chance, just t- type in Sail GP and watch just how fast these go. And I did watch doing a little bit of homework for this. You got you got hammered at one point when the hull did dive into the. You guys kind of nosedived a little bit. Yeah, we were, we were coming into the, the finish line. We just got pinched towards the end and uh, we must have been ripping um, close to 45 knots, so almost 90 k's on the water. And uh, a late board call was made and I didn't hear it because obviously when you're travelling that fast um, and you, we, we wear helmets and we have communication in our ears, but the wind is is quite epic and at times. So it's... Uh, we were pinched, so the, the Japanese team pinched us at, at the finish line, so we had to pull up and do a board drop, and the board drop was called. I didn't hear him because uh, we didn't get our angle of attack right on on our daggerboard and went in the water and made the boat, the, the bow, the boat stuff. Um, by doing that, the bow goes under the water at quite a quick speed, so we went from about 90 to zero in a few seconds. Um, as that happens, uh, as the bow goes under, I'm the first to cop the wave, and and so I'm I'm a break wall effectively for every other guy on the boat. Uh, so the, the because I missed the call, it's purely my fault. Because I missed the call, um, yeah, this wave hit me in the back. I hit headbutt Sam, who's our second grinder in front of me, and I hit our pedestal, um, which I grind on. Um, so I, 
yeah, I fractured two ribs and I broke my nose. So it was a good one. It was a good crash. Probably the worst one I've been involved in. <laughs> what do you mean you missed the call? What, what, what's a board? What's a board? Uh, so basically for us to come up, we'd have to drop a board or to slow the boat down, which we did slow the boat down. But because the angle of attack of the board sometimes, so we, we have different angles of attack that the board has to be dropped at, at an optimal drop. Uh, angle is that of a speed that we are going that current speed so the angle always changes depending on the speed and the amount of bow down trim we have on the boat i'm trying to make it as simple as possible um (laughs) basically what what has happened is the daggerboard we've already got one daggerboard in and um we dropped another daggerboard to slow the boat down because we were being pinched um towards the finish line so we could come up and then come back down um and so what has happened is that the angle of attack on the board was too positive. Um, therefore, it pulled the bow of the boat down faster than it should have. And, um, gotcha. and, and, and that's when we crashed. And so, and so that that's your fault? You're, um, you're in control of that board? or who? No, I'm, Tom, our skipper, is in control of that board. Um, yeah. But I missed the call for board down um, because I'm sitting there so you could, <laughs> yeah, you could have prepared yourself. Yeah, you could have. You could have prepared yourself more. You think? Maybe so I could. I could have probably crouched down a little bit. Either way, I would have got hit pretty hard. Um, yeah. So you know, I, yeah, I could have possibly limited my, the damage, the amount of damage I caused to myself. But uh, yeah, who, who knows? <laughs> so, so the whole race, are you facing? Back, back, backwards. backwards yeah. yeah. So you, you're never getting to see where you go. Yeah, I, no. I, I watched some images there, and, and there's so there's the two grinders. One of you is facing forward, correct. One is facing back, and the grinding is basically it's all arm movement, right? You, correct. You, you, yeah. You stand in this little. Tell cockpit. me, describe <laughs> that little cockpit area. Is there much room and the agility? Uh, so for the America's Cup, we had heaps of room because. Predominantly, grinders are quite big, and then um, they've modified the boats and they've taken out several inches in the cockpit one, which you know, effectively the biggest guys on on the crew. Um, but yeah, it's quite a tight little area. But uh, yeah, look, it, it works. It, we, you make it work, you know. And yeah. yeah, so position two helps me generate power. Um, so I'm constantly communicating with him as well and trying to pace. Sam as much as possible, depending on how much pressure we have or are under in the race, mm-hmm. and um, and trying to conserve his energy as well. So he trims the jib, um, so he's concentrating also on the jib, which is the front sail um, mm-hmm. of the boat, and um, so he's trimming that and he's trying to grind as well. And then I'm listening to position four, who's a wing trimmer, and uh, I'm trying. What I'm doing effectively is every time I, I keep the boat flying and ripping. And so depending on whether we're upwind or downwind, um, we have a, a, like a, a ride height, an optimal ride height, and, and depending on that as well, we have a lot more heel down um, upwind than we do downwind. So we have a lot more sta- of a stable boat downwind where upwind we could lean the boat into the wind a little bit more, but that means there's a lot less room for error. And so I, I adjust that by grinding effectively, and and then on the big drum, on the big grinds and the big wing trim ups, um, that's when Kyle will give us a command to trim, and trim hard. <laughs> yeah, and so it's physically just like you're doing the these are like little micro bursts, and yeah, then just bursts. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the whole uh, time. 
Yeah, it's changed a little bit from the cup. Um, you know, we'll fill in accumulators in the cup. So we'll basically, everything a motor does, uh, how it um, charges all the lines with oil pressure, basically that's what we used to do. But that's all changed now. And so basically all I do now is that I'm in, in the wing and um, I'm, I'm trimming the wing. So it's You're yeah, the they're, engine, they're micro. Mate. Yeah, they're, they're micro bursts. So certainly different and it's a different, um, I guess, power output to what we were doing with the America's Cup where the, the cup was just a pure 25-minute grind, two races a day, and um, it was, yeah, it was pretty gnarly. Now we kind of see loads anywhere from 100 to about 450 kilos in the wing, um, and that fluctuates depending on how fast we got the boat going, um, how much wind pressure there is, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, mate, I, I, I love it. <laughs> I, love how, I love how it's brought – Olympians and, and some of the world's greatest athletes from various sports into one arena. I think that's because you, your skipper, Tom, is yeah. a Olympic champion, is. Isn't, you know, yep. in sailing. Uh, you've got yourself. Tell me, the, the rest of the crew, they all got that same kind of background? Yeah, absolutely. Sam Newton um, has won multiple world championships. I, I think I've lost count, seven or eight, I think, in the skiff, 18-foot skiffs. Oh, yeah. um, Jason Waterhouse is our flight controller. So basically he doesn't look out of the boat. He looks under the boat and he looks at uh, an instrument computer, computer reading um, inside the hull. So he's effectively flying the boat. He he's controls the daggerboard movements of the boat. Um, so very important role, very tricky, takes a lot yeah. of concentration. Um, he too is an Olympic medalist. Um and uh, multiple Olympian. Um, then Kyle Langford, um, he's a renowned sailor. Uh, he, he's won an America's Cup. He's done several America's Cups. He's our wing trimmer. Um, you know, they're just really good guys at the end of the yeah. day. And then Tom Slingsby, our helmsman, uh, skipper. He's, uh, if, if you can want anyone behind the wheel, um, you know, Tom's your man. <laughs> yeah, it's just awesome. How's it going from that sort of individual singular sport to team was that a was that a transition well that was the, yeah that was the you know that was the big driver for me at the end of the day um you know i had an opportunity to sort of present myself and uh you know with, with an america's cup team um and that being a, the american team and so i flew over to bermuda and, and did some trials and they went really well several weeks of them and then before I knew it, um, you know, they had a contract in front of me asking me to move over permanently with the family. So I was like, wow, okay, well, Bermuda is a beautiful place, of course, you know. But, um, you know, I, after all of that, I had to break it to the missus and uh, say, hey, you are you up for this? And uh, <laughs> it's a big commitment and we might not be coming back to Australia. So, um, yeah, long, long story short, America, America's Cup stuff is done and unfortunately we just had a – you know, a slower boat than the Kiwi yeah. team. And um, and here we are, we're back in Australia and, and this is how Sail GP was born. Um, mm. so all the, the old cut boats remodified again and uh, we seem to be going faster somehow. <laughs> Mate, i, I got to put my name down just to have a joyride on one of those things <laughs> one day when, when I can get back to Australia, all right? So I, I know there's only room for five, but I'll, I'll lose some as well. Wait, and just squeeze me in somewhere. But do they just... <laughs> They look fantastic, mate. The way they travel, like I grew up sailing. That was my yeah. my sport on Sydney Harbour. There, it yeah. was uh, you know Manly Juniors, uh, Flying Elevens, uh, all, yeah. all, all of those things, and yeah. and used to go out and watch the you know the eighteen foot skiffs and stuff on Sydney Harbour as a kid. And it's just 
to see these new craft going around, it's just absolutely phenomenal. What, what I want to do now is really just wind the clock back um, and just tell me when you found your, your passion for, you know, swimming, endurance sports and, uh, and what that looked like. Um, wow. Uh, uh, you know, I, the family had been involved with surf, um, surfing, and both surfing and surf life saving and swimming uh, for a really long time. Mum was a great cross country runner through school and, and a great swimmer as well. And her distance seemed to be 800 meters up um, in the pool and, and open water. And my grandfather, uh, my great grandfather, which is uh, actually my great uncle, sorry, um, my grandfather's brother, was multiple uh, Australian champion. Um, he swept uh, North. Bondi to, to many Australian titles um, in the boats. Uh, he was first Australian longboard champion in Australia. Um, my, <laughs> my uncle won uh, the World Longboard Championship, uh, I think, in 81 or 82, Andrew McKinnon. Um, yeah, my cousin, you know, shoots for all, all the top surfers around Australia, Lachlan McKinnon, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's just been embedded. You know, I guess salt yeah. water has been embedded in us, and, and it kind of just led from one thing from it to another. I could always swim and I could always surf, um, and uh, before I knew it, I joined the surf club, and, um, you know, it was fantastic fun. I loved doing what I was doing, and uh, it kind of was, it was just one of those things, Greg, where, uh, I, I guess I could read the ocean at, at a really young age um, and, and I, I enjoyed hard work. Um, you know, I had a really good work ethic. Mum, you know, I guess embedded that into us at, at quite an early age, which, you know, I have no regrets about. Um, you know, my younger brother also was on the circuit and I think he finished third one year and he's won an, an Australian junior Ironman title as well. Um, so yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's just been that I, you know, I love, I love training. I love the ocean. I love water. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been one crazy career. (laughs) It it really is amazing when you, when you think about that, well, that, that firstly, the family heritage is just absolutely extraordinary that you almost didn't have a choice. Where, Where was it that you actually grew up? Uh, Central Coast. So I was born Nambour, Sunshine Coast, uh, but I grew yeah. up on the Central Coast. So um, Tom Slingsby, so Tom Slingsby is another one that grew up on the Central Coast, and you get you probably remember Nicole Hackett too, mm-hmm. another great triathlete. Uh, you know, I went to school with the Hackett's. Um, Melanie Mitchell is another one. We're coming through that that mid nineties, late nineties, and um, fantastic triathletes. So, you know, I grew up with all of those girls, and uh, yeah, Central Coast was a great little haven for athletes. It seemed to be coming out of that place, and uh, mate, it was fantastic. It was a sleepy little hollow, and I uh, went to Terrigal Primary and Terrigal High, and I got to an age where you know I, I really started to find my feet, and uh, I needed to. I think I needed to train more through winter uh, in warmer waters. It was starting to get quite tough down there. Obviously, you know how tough it can be, mm-hmm. you know, dining the old Speedo and then jumping in the water and, and uh, you know, training for a couple of hours. It, you know, when, you, when you're a little grommet, you can get away with it for a little while. And, but after time, um, you sort of get to an age where you're like, oh, you know, I can find, you know, I can do this a little bit more comfortably. And, and so when, that's when we returned back to Queensland, um, to the Gold Coast at about 16, 17 years old. And, and uh, at that stage, I had already done one season with the Uncle Toby Super Series. 
um, training down south. And, um, yeah, and then the second second year of the Uncle Toby series, I found myself in Queensland. That, uh, it's amazing. For people that don't know, the Central Coast, we call it in Australia, is just north of Sydney, about one hour north, and it's just absolutely a beautiful part of the world. And and you mentioned some incredible names there in the sport of triathlon, Nicole Hackett and Melanie Mitchell, and I know Melanie listens to this uh, podcast quite often, so I think she'll enjoy the little shout-out on that. And and I love the fact that you, you mentioned Gromit. For people in the US oh, or Europe listening to this, grommet is basically a, a term that us Australians give to basically a young surf kid, um, you know, surf life-saving. They're, they're in the surf. We just call them grommets. Uh, I just, I love that phrase. It's been a while since I've heard it because I've been in the US a while. <laughs> yeah, and so you, move, you moved north. Yeah. When was it that you decided, obviously you've got some surfing skills, um, you could have gone a number of different ways being a waterman that you are um when was it that you realized hang on my strengths is you know the surf iron man and it's being in, in this or the swimming when was it that you kind of aligned that and said no nah, it's probably not surfing i'm going to go all in on the iron man stuff well uh, probably about 11 or 12 years old i think i was quite young i remember trialing i must have trialed when i was about 14 years old and um I led uh, with Steve Pullen at the trials. It was about a 45-minute trial. And um, it was first year on the ski, and I was pretty small, and ski was last. So, you know, obviously the run, swim, board, run again before the ski was was kind of my cup of tea. Um, But then I got on the ski, and I went from a first to to 16th, and they took the top 15. So I missed missed that year. (laughs) But mind you, I don't know if you can scale back to that year I think it was 95, 96, and um, that year I, I was small, right, and uh, and they went to Pihar. Pihar is a beach, a black sand beach in New Zealand, and it was probably about 18 foot, and they didn't, yeah, it was insane. So if, if anyone's listening to this and they want to look it up, look at Uncle Toby's, the Uncle Toby's Super Series, 95-96, Pihar Beach, New Zealand, and they'll, they'll get a show, that's for sure. And uh, <laughs> I remember sitting at home because, you you know, you used to flick on whatever channel it was at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It was ran live on a Sunday. And I, so I remember sitting down going, my gosh, I am so happy I didn't make that Uncle Toby Super Series because, mate, they, they didn't run the, run the women but they ran the men and I can tell you I've never seen fear in the eyes of men like I'd seen fear in the eyes of those blokes and, uh, yeah, it was quite crazy. So very grateful I didn't make that. <laughs> yeah, the, the, gods were, the gods gave you the 16th spot saying we got something special lined up for this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, let's just give these boys a, a good flogging. <laughs> God, you give me goosebumps when I think about that PR because I was training with a lot of those guys, uh, you know, in Manly there. And um, I remember they all went over to that. And I think Trevor Hendy won that probably, did he? I mean, uh, I can't remember. Was no, it Guy Andrews? Reece. No, Reese Drew. Oh, it was Reese. Oh, oh Reese. Scott Reeves. Sorry, Scott Reeves won Scott, that. Scott yeah. Reeves. Wow. And, and when, when you oh. say 18 foot, just for Americans to understand in Australia, we tend to measure waves at the back of a wave. So, that's a face of how big would that face be? It's even bigger than oh, that, right? 20 plus. Or well, you look at a ski. So, you know, if anyone's lucky enough right. to YouTube it, you'll see what this, you know, a couple of guys caught some waves on the ski, and a ski is is 18 feet. So what what what's that in American terms? 
I don't what it's the, big. The, 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 it's the, big. Yeah, it's big. It's long. Like you know, I stand at six feet. Um, yeah. You know, and so that that's that's three of me effectively at the end of the day. And yeah. the ski, the surf ski, looked mate. It looked miniature on this thing. So I don't. I don't know. It's like the face of the wave was almost like a, a telegraph pole. Yeah. It was like it was like that. It was. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I remember. I, I mean, watching these guys, and like you said, they were. It was the first time I've ever seen guys go contemplating whether they actually wanted to start. I think, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a special one. But um, but then you you did qualify the next year. Tell me about that feeling of actually qualifying and what that was like. Yeah, I, I won the trials quite comfortably, and then um, you know, was, was introduced to the big boys, the big league, and um, I was so young, um, fifteen, maybe going on to sixteen, and uh, yeah, I got to travel the whole country with you know guys I absolutely idolised, and uh, mind you, I, I flew mum with me everywhere, so I was well and truly well behaved the whole time, and uh, I remember my first race, and it was North Burley, and. Um, it was just epic. It, it was one of those races where, you know, I'll never forget it. I had a sprint finish up the beach. It was an enduro, so I think it was an hour 50, two-hour race. Wow. Um, and I, I had a sprint finish up the beach with, um, I think, Josh Blair. And he absolutely smoked me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool. I think I finished up ninth that year in the series, yeah. my first year, and um, it was, it was yeah, I think I was the youngest ever to qualify, which was really cool. And, uh and then, yeah, the following year, second year of Uncle Toby's Super Series, I was lucky enough to, to win it. Now, just to put it in perspective for listeners, just so you understand what's happening here, the Uncle Toby's Super Series that we've mentioned a couple of times, for us as Australians, definitely throughout the 90s uh, and, and into the noughties, but really through the 90s, was it had burst onto the scene. It had become live television. It was watched. The, the ratings were off the chart. Um, we had names like Guy Leach, Guy Andrews, Trevor Hendy was was one of them. Grant Kenny was kind of the guy that started all off. But these guys put surf lifesaving and this surf Ironman event basically on the Australian stage that it was you guys were the icons of Australian sports to some degree. And, you know, I think the men wanted to be like these Ironman and the women just wanted to be with them. It was like this, we, we, as triathletes, we were all like, oh, come on. But it really was a phenomenal time in the, in the sport. And so for you to come on at 15, 16, and then, you know, and win the series in 2017, uh, as a 17, excuse me, was absolutely Incredible. Tell me about take us through that year. Um, gosh, it's, it's going back a while. Um, <laughs> what was that? 98, 99, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it was. And uh, oh, look, it was just epic. You know, I kind of I kind of knew how it was going to unfold for the season because I knew, you know, I had, had a really good winter. Um, I was training exceptionally well. I was swimming well and I was paddling really well. I was running well. Um, and I, I felt like, you know, the training that I was doing was right on point. Um, everything that I was sort of doing felt good and, and I felt like it was flowing. And, yeah, it was just one of those things. I just had a, had a really good year of racing. I, I can't remember my worst result that year. Um, it might have been, I don't know, it might have been a third or something. So I was consistent across the board. So, um, yeah, mate, it was just great, you know, and, and uh, I think it might have pissed off a lot of older guys that were in the series 
because there was a new a new crop of crew coming through and they were a bit younger and uh, you know they were kind of pushing out the older guys that had been sort of running around on the circuit and uh, they had a true how do I say it they had a true balance of life as far as <laughs> partying and, and racing goes so. I think uh, I might have shook up a few feathers. (laughs) Yeah, you probably brought a level of professionalism along with, obviously you've got some some, uh, genetic talent there. Um, You can't be as good as you were at 15, 16 without some genetic ability, but your real talent was that bringing that work ethic across, you know, and so there's, it's always scary when talent meets work ethic, you know. I, I know in our sport of triathlon, we really saw it. Um, with two go- two brothers named the Brownlee brothers mm, from cool. from Britain, and you know they went gold and bronze in London Olympics and then gold and silver at Rio. And not only did they do that, they just kind of accelerated the sport beyond. And and like you said, they pushed us old guard out. I've said it when I had them on the show, both of them. I said, "You guys are the reason I had to retire." You realize that, you know, because they brought it to another level. Yeah. Where it was this talent meets work ethic. And for me, you were the Brownleys of of the Ironman world, the surf Ironman. Uh, and it really was an extraordinary time. And I can imagine some of the older guys when they saw this young buck coming along and they're like, what? He's ruining it for us. He's making us all look B grade. And uh, but and then you went on to win, was it four straight? How, how did that then go for you? And then, then the series folded and then I, I went across to a rival series and won that one too. So, yeah, it was um, – I think – as far as the professionalism, it came from two factors. I think one, mum, because, you know, we were always pretty grounded. You know, we grew up with nothing and worked hard for, for everything that was sort of put on the table. Um, mm. And then on, on the flip side of that too, I, I grew up in an era where we had Kieran Perkins, Daniel Kowalski. I was swimming as well. So, you know, mm. Glenn Houseman. And then, you know, I grew up with, um, you know, Grant Hackett's one of my best mates. And so... You know, he burst on the scene at 15 and then literally two years after that we had Ian Thorpe burst on the scene at 14, 15 years old and these guys weren't just winning Australian races, they were breaking world records. So, mm. you know, the level of professionalism I think in, in that era uh, and especially with swimming, that swimming side of things was, was quite high and, um, you know, they were regarded as professional athletes that were quite clean, cut and polished. So, um, yeah, like, like, you know, when... It, you know, I spent so much time with Grant, you know, as soon as I moved to the Gold Coast and we trained together in the pool and, and hung out on our weekends and did so much together. So it was, it was kind of one of those things where, you know, I had to grow up fast and I think that was, was definitely uh, a benefit for me at the end of the day because it transferred to my Ironman career. Mm. I mean, you mentioned some incredible names there in Australian swimming history where Australia really was dominating the world in, in swimming. You know, at the, the 2000 Olympics, we did very well. 2004 did very well. That that swimming side of things, was there always that I want to go swim for Australia in the Olympic Games or World Championships? What was that mentality like? Yeah, it was... Uh... My first Olympic trials was in 1996. Um, I finished. My goodness, yeah. were you 12? No, 15. <laughs> and um, so I, I finished, uh, Grant was in there too, and I think Grant finished fourth, or, or I can't remember. Uh, I finished. In the 1500, was that? 1500, yeah, in 1996. And uh, you know, that was when Houseman was in there, Kieran Perkins, Daniel Kowalski, you know, it was a pretty insane field. And yeah. so for me to make the, the our national finals was was epic and I kind of always had a burning desire that I wanted to represent Australia at an Olympic Games 
And so I kind of just kept plugging away. But the surf stuff was just had had a hold of me. It was just really, really hard to let go. Um, 2000 Olympic trials came around. I was like, oh, you know, I'll have a, I'll have a go, see how it goes. And I was swimming pretty well, but, you know, certainly not at that standard. I, I finished fifth, I think, in the 1500 there, uh, seventh in the 400. So I was slightly edging closer. And then uh, 2004 uh, Olympic trials came around. I was like, I'm going to have another crack. <laughs> I've got to see how I go anyway. And it was the same year in 2004 that they announced that 2008 they were going to hold open water. And I was like, oh, crap, open water, that means no walls. It's right up my alley. So anyway, so I trialled for 2004 Olympics. Um, I got third in the 1500 behind behind Grant Hackett and Craig Stevens. Um, So I missed missed the team there and I finished fifth in the 400. So I was so close and I was like, oh, man, 2008 is my year. I've got to go. If it's not not in the pool, it's bloody going to be in open water. Um, so about a year out, uh, I made a decision. I was like, you know what, I, I need changes in my life. So um, I, we, I went south and I trained. I left Dennis Cottrell, who I'd been under for such a long time, the master of swimming coaching. And, um, and so I went to Sydney and I just tried to break things up. And I trained under Tracy Menzies with Craig Stevens in 2008. And uh, everything was going exceptionally well. Um, and then literally a couple of months out, Haki, so I spoke to Grant, and uh, Grant at this stage was the greatest distance swimmer the planet had ever seen. And uh, he goes, oh, mate, I'm going to do the open water. I'm like, what do you mean? You're not going to do that, surely. Don't be an idiot. Just seriously, it's not you. There's no walls. 10K is way too far for you. Anyway, it's like, no, no, no I'm going to do it. Let's, let's do this together. I'm like, oh, you bugger. Anyway, so we, he ended up swimming it. Craig Stevens at the time said he was going to swim it as well, but he ended up having to pull out in the last minute um, for other reasons, and um, thank God for that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Hacky did it. So we went 1-2 at our national championships and um, quite comfortably, and then we flew. Our selection trials was just top two at the Australian selection trials. Um, yeah. And then we had to get top 10 to make the Olympic Games at the World Championships. And so these were in Seville, the World Championships in Spain. And, um, yeah, I was swimming pretty well, but Grant was flying, absolutely flying. And um, we we didn't have a lot – he didn't have a lot of experience going in and um, he'd never sort of swum in a pack more than sort of 25, 30 that we saw at our nationals. And, and these World Championships, we had 80 of the best swimmers around the world. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we, we kind of had a game plan. Um, that went out the window for me after the first 2.5K mark. On the 2.5K turn, I went from about fourth sitting comfortably to about 45th. Um, yeah, I just got absolutely smashed. I don't know what I was thinking yeah. and what happened, but I went under and by the time I came up, I was so far behind. So for me, I, I just chipped my way back to the front by the time – uh, we got to the 10K mark and I ended up, you know, finishing fifth, luckily, but uh, I was looking around, I couldn't see Grant and Grant came in outside of the top 10. So unfortunately he didn't make make the uh, the 10K, but he was in the, the the two, the four by two, the 400 and the 1500 at the Olympics. Okay, so don't feel sorry for him too yeah, much. Exactly. So, yeah, but um, yeah, it was, you know, what a journey. So, and uh, 
Yeah, I remember swimming those Olympic Games and I felt so good and uh, I was swimming exceptionally well um, and I went too hard, too early towards the finish. I went I went at about the two, about the AK mark and I thought, I've got this. You know, I, I know I can work work hard and I can work these guys hard and um, I reckon I got to about four, 500 metres out and I, I absolutely cooked myself. No. I was done. So, um, yeah, I got pushed back to, to 11th and um, I remember getting out and, uh, and thinking I am never swimming this far ever again in my life. <laughs> anyway, fast forward, you know, four years and before you know it, I'm, I'm on the, the plane again to another Olympics for another 10K spot. Oh, God, what am I thinking? Uh, I'm a sucker for punishment. But uh, anyway, what a journey. Do, do- I got a question there, and uh, uh, thank you for sharing that because it's a great visual um, for, for for us all listening. Uh, I've got a question, I guess. When it comes to the ten k, do you think? I mean, Beijing was was in a lake, and, and uh, London was in the the Serpentine in, in Hyde Park. There, if it had been proper ocean swimming with 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 any kind of form of surf or anything, would have that change things up for you would you be sitting here with two gold medals yeah yeah so rio rio was a hard one for me um they were they were contemplating and and talk was they were going to do a beach start and a beach finish Mm. and um and 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 let alone that aside just being in the ocean and having you know mother nature deal with the conditions Um, it was such a tough decision for me um, to to not do those games. Um, that was when the whole Oracle opportunity came up, um, and it was just the timing of the whole thing for me. Um, mm. You know, I wanted to be a part of a bigger picture than just myself. Um, you know, and and then you know, the whole Olympic campaign too would have been, uh, um, you know, it, it's very selfish in the sense that. You know, it's it's about me. It's not about anyone else. And uh, I just I'm not sure whether I was sort of willing to put the family through that again. Um, so yeah, it was, it was tough because Rio was open water um, in the surf, and um, you know they had currents and they had a little bit of swell. And gosh, it would have been epic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> would have no been- doubt. It, it, absolutely no doubt that would have been yours. But I, you know, I think. It's great that you've got such um, perspective that you you understand that it is self, you know, and that comes with maturity as well. And and then you had a young family by then. Did you already have kids by then? Yeah, so Carl, Carl came along in yeah two thousand and seventeen. So no, it was on the cusp of it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, two thousand and twelve. Sorry, we had, I had Koa. Sorry, I was thinking of Asha. I had Koa yeah. already. And, uh, Koa's eight. Oh, he's eight. In a few weeks, um, and <laughs> it's all a blur, mate. I'm trying to think back. I'm like, oh my god, it's all happening. But yeah, no, we had cars. So yeah, yeah, for me, and but I had to make a decision. It was either I put my head down in the pool for five hours a day, every day, um, or I have an opportunity where I can go live in a different country, um, go represent a team that I thought was massive, and and what an opportunity to be a part of, you know, a team so big like Oracle. Um, Team USA, and so I ended up making that decision at the end of the day, and and, and going to Bermuda with the family, and that's where Asher was born, our youngest. Um, you know, ah. she was 
she was born in Bermuda and um, yeah, we made it's such a beautiful place. Um, Isn't it? That, that, you know, the Butterfields are from there, you know, Thai yeah, Butterfields. Yeah, so, you know, one of the best Ironmen, you, you know, we've ever seen on this planet. He's a freak. And so, yeah, look, you know, I became really close with the Butterfields and, um, man, it's just a, it's just a beautiful place. And, uh, yeah, I re- re- regret having to move back. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I'm really happy to be home with family again. Just a quick mini break before we get back to the show. I just want to remind you guys to go check out athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Sign up and get your free 20 daily travel packets with your first order of $79 added value. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Greg. Talking about Bermuda, we had a number of World Cup triathlons there in the 90s and now they've had a few World Series triathlons yes. there the last yeah. few years and um, it really is one of those special places and it it has a real community feel about it. Um, you know, when we went and raced there, we didn't stay in hotels. We often would just, you know, put up with, you know, local well, triathlon yeah. family members and we got to know everybody and, and like you said, the Butterfields and Flora Duffy is also Flora, there. Of course, yeah. Flora, yeah, I, I want to get Flora on the show. And Flora's a freak. Come Oh my gosh she's a yeah. weapon yeah she she's changed women's sport uh women's triathlon is substantial i'm trying to get her on the show here in the next few weeks but yeah, just right. absolutely an incredible athlete <laughs> in, in her own right and people yeah. if you want a great trip go check out bermuda because i agree with you mate I, i've had so many wonderful experiences there absolutely love the placement yeah um so that that transition did they reach out to you or was that uh, was it like an advertised position? Uh, no, so I, I, had, I had always sailed as well and uh, I'd done oh, a few okay. races up at Hamilton Island Race Week and Brisbane, the Gladstone, et cetera, on a, on a Volvo 60. And um, so I was always on the pedestals. And anyway, through mutual friends um, who were sailors, uh, one is also a, a triathlete, Ironman triathlete, who is mm. a renowned sailor, um, introduced me to um tom singsby and jimmy spithill and so i sat down in front of those guys and said look you know if um if you need you know i'd love love an opportunity um you know and uh and that's how it sort of unfolded and before i knew it you know months went past i didn't hear anything i didn't chase it up because i was sort of in the thick of the whole uh surf ironman circuit again and it was going really well and uh end up getting a call from slingers and he said oh can you get on a plane and come to bermuda and you know, come do a bit of sailing with us. And I was like, mate, absolutely. It's perfect timing. <laughs> and so <laughs> did that and spent a few weeks there and, and that's how it all unfolded. And I did some tests over there on the pedestal and, and, and just did a lot of hanging out with the guys. And, and they were just great blokes at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think that's what really makes a team like that is, is, is a camaraderie between the team and, you know, how you can communicate and have that fun banter and, and then how do you work collectively you know, during competition and, and training. And, um, you know, we, we definitely hit it on the head there. From the bits I've seen, Tom Slingsby seems like a, a pretty phenomenal leader. He knows how to push at the right times. Uh, I think I even saw an interview where he said, look, I, I do get a bit fiery. <laughs> um, do you find that? Is he is he kind of a fiery leader or? Yeah, oh, mate, he, he, he fires up at the right times. And, and the thing is with, with us is that, and why we have this crew, and, and it's a crew that we ran with Oracle Team USA. We were all Australians on the USA team, but at least half. Well, Australia didn't have a challenge. Uh, we didn't, no. And um, so basically we, we knew, you know, we'd seen the best and the worst 
in us, you know, during racing and, and we just we just gel. And I think that's what makes it work at the end of the day is that we gel really well and we do our jobs um, to the best of our ability every single time. And, you know, yeah, Tom can lose it at times, but, you know, we're, we're the right people to sort of pull him back and go, hey, as soon as let's – Let's get the head back in the game. And instantly he just clicks back into it because he's a racer. Um, he's a born and bred racer and uh, absolutely loves it. And the guy's a master of what he does. And, uh, you know, we all need that at times. And, and sometimes we can lose focus or we, you know, we, we get caught up in, a, in an incident that, you know, is out of our control. Um, but that's when, you know, the people around you, if you have that, opportunity or you know if you can learn over times too is to be able to pull yourself back in and go okay this has happened this is out of my control but let let me put the ball back into my court and and let me take control of my outcome and my circumstances from here and uh, Mm. that's what we all seem to do really well together on on our team yeah, control the controllables. I, lo- I love that, and it, it's it's been phenomenal. There is um for people listening, if you want to watch some more, there's a great documentary on you guys and and what it took to win, uh, last year the sale GP and and that million dollars, mate. That and what happens is just to, uh, I basically and tell me if I might be wrong, but basically you race these races around the world, and to qualify for the championship race, so the top two boats then go into a final one-off race yeah. for the million dollars. No. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and then it's, it was Australia versus Japan. Japan. Yeah. Um, although the Japanese crew didn't look, not to say you have to look a certain way to be Japanese, but they looked very Australian New Zealand. Yeah. What, what, no, what was were, going on there? There were two. I think there were, no, there were three Japanese on the boat. Oh, there were? Okay, yeah. good, good. So, All right, yeah. yeah. The skipper, Nathan, it's very Australian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> look. Japanese at all, but um, yeah. you know, they, they were lucky to have someone like Nathan behind the wheel. Um, yeah, again, yeah. Nathan, you know, he, he was the skipper for Artemis in the last America's Cup and those guys were, were incredible as well. So, yeah. yeah. They crushed it. Yeah. But that, that, final, that final race, take me through that. Um, so we, we got on the race course. The wind absolutely shattered its pants, and so that means it just died. <laughs> so the race course director, you know, was forced to in a in a situation where we had to move our course. So hundreds of boats on the water. Um, he did a, an amazing job, Ian. Um, and so we moved the course to another another area, a little bit away. Um, Mate, everything was just crazy. It was just rushed. And um, so we, we ended up entering um, early into to, uh, our pre-race setup. Uh, so we got an instant penalty off, off the bat. Um, so there's a start area that you go into, but if you go into that, you yeah, get penalty. Correct. Oh. Yeah, so we've got to enter at 210 um, where the trailing boat enters on starboard, uh, enters at two minutes. And so... Basically, what happens there is that we're penalised, so we have to be the trailing boat across the line. Um, there's no no question about it. And um, in, in the pre-start, uh, so yeah, we we were on the back foot from from the word go. So what had happened there? Every time we were going through it, you know, our jibes running down course. Um, the wind had picked up at this stage, which which was fantastic. And uh, and so, they, you know, a 14-minute course went to a nine-minute course, so there was really no room for error. A nine-minute 
race is, is just wow. ridiculously wow. quick, especially yeah. with these boats and how fast they run. So, no, you know, they wanted to make it for TV. Um, so so they, got, they definitely got, got their show. And uh, we ended up doing a cross. So we, we rounded the bottom mark behind trailing. Um, we ended up splitting up the course. And so they took, I think they took the port rounding and we took the starboard rounding, top mark. Um, and then we were crossing about three quarters of the way down on the last leg. Um, we ended up, I'm not sure how, we pushed, pushed so hard. We ended up crossing by two inches from these guys and we didn't we didn't get a penalty um and then yeah the rest is history from there and we ended up taking out the race uh back up upwind and so yeah it was uh it was pretty dramatic <laughs> it was wow. one of the most full-on races i've probably been in um as wow. far as the intensity levels go but um again you know it comes back to just our experience on the crew and how well we actually adapt you know under those pressure situations so we were you know i was really lucky to have a crew like i do and so you had the crew of five of you, but you've got a bit of a tour, uh, the shore crew. Or how many? How many are on a team fully? Yeah, so there's there's eighteen on the team. Um, yeah, we yeah. we have you know we have a PA and and uh, and we have a shore crew that are absolutely epic. Um, you know, our, our shore crew know more about boats than we all do, <laughs> and at the same time, they're some of the best sailors in the world as well. So. You know, if, if anything happens, these guys could probably just step on and, and fill our roles um, quite quickly, wow. no doubt. Wow. That's awesome. I, I want to kind of move the show on to a little bit about the, the kind of your physical training to be able to do what you've done. Um, tell me the kind of training you do for a grinder on one of these F50 catamarans compared to training for Surf Ironman, compared to training for Olympic swimming 10K. Has there been a lot of changes throughout and, and i guess as you've matured and now you're in your late 30s how much has that changed in terms of timeline as well yeah um it's it certainly changed uh gosh i don't think your show's long enough for me to run <laughs> yeah, um, no, i said that at the top yeah but you've been busy mate. <laughs> um yeah look the, the 10k was just a, a slug um you know i, I was training for the, the dynamics of a 10k race had changed dramatically from the 90s right through to now is that you know we're getting, we're seeing 1500 meter swimmers ten, swim the 10k hence the grand hackett's Etc. and you us, us Malulis, um who won 08 and uh, I, uh, 2012, sorry. Um, so the speed component was there. So I was always training in the pool for 1,500 uh, with a small component of, of longer stuff on top of that. Um, that's that side of things sh- short, in short. Um, the Ironman stuff, you know, transitions, transitions for me. Is it, that's what has been the key and skills. And so I've always gotten my base from my pool work and that, that's been my core. And so all my paddling on top of that, my ski work, my board paddling, my running, has all come from fitness from the pool. Um, running seems to be a little ke- bit, bit more of a kettle of a fish to go into, and I'll go into that in a second as I'm experiencing right now. But um, that was kind of that side of things with the Ironman stuff. So I always had those skills in the ocean. Uh, it was just a matter of refining and getting strong on that craft um, with the base work and my swimming and my endurance base work from that as well. Um, and then the grinding pretty much was very similar. Uh, I had changed the dynamics of sailing and how the guys were training um, because we were on the boat and especially the grinders. Most people on the boat with the last America's Cup had to grind. 
Um, so I kind of changed the dynamics from them being massively big and being able to lift, you know, 160 kilo bench, et cetera, et cetera, to guys that were slightly more refined but had an endurance as well. So I was slowly over the time of the two and a half years I was in Bermuda was introducing swimming. So it was a cardio aspect and then paddling as well. And so I was doing a lot of ski paddling over there and, and the guys that weren't ski paddling were doing a lot of sup paddling as well uh, in conjunction with gym work as well as time spent on the boat as well as, you know, the grinding that we had the pedestals in the gym. And so that was, uh, was kind of in short just the components of, of the dynamics of how it changed, but it didn't really change. So I've always kept my ski paddling there because it's really given me um, the strength that I need for what I need on the boat, uh, as well as the cardio aspect uh, I get from my swimming. Um, And so that's kind of where it's been in the past. And then um, about 12 months ago, um, I was like, I've had this burning desire, Greg, because I've looked up to guys like yourself for so long and I've been in the in the back of my head I've always gone man I, I've just always wanted to do a triathlon and you know Garth Proud was a good mate of mine uh, as, as of yours as well and you know I used to go to Noosa Triathlon for so many years of 15 16 years and watch all you guys race and it was just epic and then I'd always watch Kona and I'd always keep up to date with you know what all the triathletes and I remember doing around the world and and so I ended up buying a, a bike and so I bought a bike uh, about six months ago and I've been riding ever since and um, it's a whole new world for me Greg. <laughs> That's awesome. And, That's uh, awesome. Yeah and I've been running and I've joined a little try squad here on the gold coast and um i'm chipping away but man it i ran for the first time off the bike so i did what did i do last weekend i did an 80k ride with four 20 minute efforts time trial efforts and then i got off and i tried to do six one k's and mate i've never felt so much pain (laughs) (laughs) you'll get used to that the one the one trouble you might have is is your engine is so big and we see that a little bit in the in the sport of triathlon we get these swimmers not to your level but the decent decent swimmers come over and they have these big engines and you just got to be patient with the legs to keep up. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you got to allow the. It's a science, the, Greg. It's yeah, that's what I'm working yeah. out. So every time I'm going for my runs, I'm kind of trying to think, what would I do for a 70 point? I'm not even thinking about an Ironman because every time I think about an Ironman and just I think about the marathon at the end, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to even contemplate that just yet. But I'm, I'm thinking. I think March is my time where I want to do a 70 point. And so I've kind of started to, to build sort of towards that now. And, um, I'm, yeah, I'm starting to run and starting to put some Ks in. But I'm trying to be smart with it. Um, I feel like, you know, after a swim and a ride that you really need to be calculated and, and know your body when you get off that bike. Um, mm. because, you know, I, I don't want to get halfway through a race or three quarters through the run and go, what, what, what was I thinking? You know, you, you hear the crowd when you go through transition and, you know, you forget about all the pain and you forget about your, 
your, your legs and there you are, you're running 350 pace. <laughs> you got 21k to run and I was like, well, that, that's quite dumb, isn't it? Well, you know what I did at my first 70.3 world champs? I did pretty much the same thing. I, I was really uh, more of an Olympic short course specialist, to be honest. And and so I think what year was it? Uh, maybe I think I was almost 40 and I did it and I, I got off the bike and it had been a really flat, fast bike. I think we went through the the 90k in like just under two hours it was really fast and but everybody was there it was like and so i got off the bike and felt fantastic and decided to get running and now i'm used to olympic distance where i generally my first k would be around that 240 to 45k like fast you've got to break the race up set the stage and then you kind of you know gradually fall off that pace and so anyway I, i ran out right on three minute k and i i i say these times now and i'm like um Mate, I'm lucky to break four minutes now. So I, I look back and go, God. But honestly, by the time I, I went through 10K within the lead, quite comfortable, I got to about 13K and boy, did the lights go out. And I I hobbled in. I don't know what place I ended up finishing. Anyway, I didn't do another 70.3 for, for four years after. <laughs> I learned my lesson about pacing. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Crowy once told me, Craig Alexander, who I'm sure you know, yeah, you know and he'd won absolutely. a couple of world titles. He's like, Greg, you know, you just got to get to 8K before the race starts. And then again at 13K is when you can go, okay, yeah, yeah. let's bring it home. Yeah. Get to 8K with not much work and then 13K right. you can yeah. kind of accelerate. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, it never really worked out for me though. I always <laughs> preferred the, the shorter. So you're not going to start with a shorter race? You're just going to go straight into a half uh, you, you guys are just way too fast. I can't. I can't run. I'm, what do you I'm, mean? Mate, you open I'm, up a gap? I'm like a, a bike. I'm like a John Deere engine. I just keep chugging away. So. For me, it's it like a lot, lot slower. Um, you know, I, it it hurts me running four minute pace. I can't, I can't do it for too long. Well, it, well, it, moment, is, but, it uh, is, yeah, yeah. No, it's. Uh, I, I'm, but you're also how big are you? You you ninety like kilos or kilos? Something. Yeah, ninety five kilos, mate. You're carrying. You you you're a strong lad. You 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 are not meant to be running four minute case. <laughs> I can't do it. Well, I, I ran this morning with a couple of the boys, Matt Paul and Pierce Leonard, who won, you know, yeah. a couple of Australian Ironman, Surf Ironman titles, and we ran seven this morning. And the thing is, like, we're running. At 4.25 pace, which wasn't too bad. Uh, I started uh, towards the end of the 7K and then we got in the pool and we swam. I, I made up a set and we did a 4K set we, in that main set was four fours on five minutes and then we did five 300s that were sort of 25 underwater, 25 up. Um, and I was, so it was all broken on 4.30 and then we ran home for 7K. But the boys ended up running 4.15 pace, mate. They, they completely dropped me. I just couldn't. Couldn't do it. It was just far too quick. So I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm closer to the five minute pace at the moment. And I'm I'm quite happy with that. So I guess for me with a seventy point, if I can get off the bike and run under five minutes the whole way consistently yeah. and negative yeah. split it, I'll be uh, I'll be extremely happy. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. Uh, uh, look at the end of the day. You've touched on that. That was awesome that you just shared that little workout because I, you know, I, I love to hear these. I, what I want to hear is, have you got any kind of a a workout where you look back and you go, "Wow, that was kind of that was kind of epic," like a swim workout or whatever whatever it was that you can tell us and tell yeah. us the split um, and all of that. Gosh, I, I almost remember every single set I've done since I was twelve years old. <laughs> um, I probably the two most impressive sets that I've ever done were uh, ten fours. So we did three three on four thirty. 
two and four twenty twice, and so they were all under four twenty pace the whole way. Um, and then I also did fifty one hundreds with Grant before uh, we raced in Seville in Spain for the ten k. We did fifty one hundreds on one ten. They were all sub one hundred twos, and the last the last ten, so forty to fifty were um, on 105 pay, um, 105 cycle. <laughs> <laughs> and that's long course. Everybody listening, that's yeah, a 50-meter pool. <laughs> long that's just insane. The other thing I remember about you was like we're talking about some of the best surf watermen in the world when we talk about this Uncle Toby's Super Series and or Neutral Grain or whoever the brand was at the time. But I remember I always trained with Craig Riddington. So yep. Craig Riddington was known probably before you came along. He was the 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 best sort of surf swimmer in Australia. Um, and I remember diving under waves, and I would be and I I grew up on in the surf as well. I loved the surf, and anytime there was a triathlon in open water, that always suited me far better. But I remember diving under these waves on the way out, grabbing on the bottom and pulling myself across and popping back up. <laughs> and Craig Riddington was always like ten meters further away. He, he'd gone that much further. I was like. What in the world is he doing underwater? Now, that was Craig Riddington. So he was the level. Then you turned up racing guys like Craig Riddington and a whole bunch of them, and you were another sort of five metres in front of them every time you went under the waves. What were you doing under there? Uh, so the, there's a layer. It, the, water's la- it, like, the, the water's layered. So when it breaks, it creates a cloud formation, and then under that cloud formation there's a clear bit of water and all that energy that comes in from the ocean breaks comes in hits the shore but it's got to disperse somewhere and so where it disperses generally is along the bottom again or it'll go through the gutter a gutter is a deep channel that runs back out in the ocean and sort of creates a cloud formation once it's past the break um but i I try to utilize the bottom as much as possible um and then i'll pick spots depending on the size of it um you know when you look at clouds if, if you're a pilot for instance um, you look at the cloud formation. So if you wanted to get from, you know, the ground through the clouds to clear sky, you're not going to go through the dark clouds, are you? You're going to pick your spots and, and try and fly through the light sections of the clouds. And so it's exactly the same with surf in the ocean. So when you go under, you go under deep enough so you can see the cloud formation, you know, bubbling away up in front of you and on top of you. And so it's just a matter of trying to pick those spots. But then at the same time, um, you know, butterfly kick I do um, under the water if I can't, if it is too deep to get to the bottom. Um, mm. you know, my butterfly kick's always been pretty good. So this is the frustrating thing because, you know, my swimming, I, I want to do a triathlon so bad and my swimming's no worries. Like I swim once a week and I jumped in the pool today with Paulie. And I can go, five, you know, 400s on five minutes and, I can do that all day and it's so comfortable. But then, you know, I've ran my whole life too. But, man, running hurts so much. (laughs) I tell you what, you you lose, you get rid of 20 kilograms of that upper body, you know, you get yourself down to 73. I think think you'll find you'll start to run pretty well. I mean. I'll get kicked uh, off the boat though, Greg. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, you guys have a weigh-in, right, for the boat? You have to be a certain weight? Yeah, I've got got to be. My weigh-in on the boat is 91 kilos and I can't exceed that. So we have a weight limit. And so it comes back to riding moment. So the more riding moment we have, the more power, more speed we can generate out of the boat. And so weight weight is our friend. (laughs) 
for really? Running, yeah, absolutely. Um, where, you know, obviously running weight is not your friend. It's uh, That's interesting. Horrible. And so everybody on the boat has to weigh a certain amount. You right. each have your – wow. Yeah. And so you're not allowed to go under 91 kilos. I'm not allowed to go much under 91 kilos, but I'm not allowed to go over 91. So that's that's my – that's my race weight. I mean, that's my weigh-in weight. But then, and, and generally that will take me about 24 hours of not eating <laughs> to get the 91 kilos. So as soon as that weigh-in's done, I just plow everything in and uh, and drink and try and rehydrate and do everything right. Cause and get as heavy as you can get again. Get as heavy as I can. I'll, I'll generally get back to 94 kilos by the time the race starts. So um yeah that's uh <laughs> that's wow, my predicament so at the moment greg I, i'd love to get to you know 80 kilos and try and run 20 yeah. days <laughs> but you got a you got a job to do in your other gotta, i mean you're gonna have to hold off on your fourth profession here uh, I know. unfortunately i don't get paid to be a triathlete i, I know i was gonna say you got you got <laughs> i'm happy to coach you mate i think you've got yeah i think you've got the genetics we could do it oh yeah that. we got we, I, we got i'm coming out of the swim first for you no worries <laughs> Yeah, I think I think let's. I think you'd be more suited to the Olympic distance than the shorter, with all that power and speed that you have, though. Oh, uh, that you guys at your pace is just is lightning, and it's uh, something. To, <laughs> it is. I, you know, it I, has I changed. Sit, I sit back and I just I absolutely admire and and respect. You know what you guys used to do through the nineties and the pace you guys used to run off the bike and. You know, We're nothing now, mate. We are yeah, nothing compared to this new generation. You know, this new generation, I've had many of them on the on the show. Yeah, they're running. You know, Mario Mola, uh, Jonathan Alistair Brownlee, yeah. these guys, Vincent Lewis, they are running sub twenty eight minutes. They 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 off. off the bike. Bloody they're running sub fourteen minutes to five k. Yeah, yeah, no, nah, it's. Uh... Yeah, unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> it's unheard of. I know, but that's why I love having all you guys on. I love hearing these epic swim. I mean, that that swim of yours, fifty-one hundreds, forty of them on one ten, the last ten on one hundred five. It's just, just to swim one hundred meters in one hundred five is insane. One of them, I couldn't do that. Amazing. There's no way in the world, <laughs> isn't it funny? And when you retire from everything, mate, you, you look back and you just go, "Wow, yeah, I actually was reasonably fit." <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's an awesome feeling, and that you know, that's I guess that's my desire with triathlon as well, is because it's it's a beautiful community. There's wonderful people like yourself that mm. you know mm. we're all like minded, and uh, it, it's such a healthy environment. Um, it's just mentally stimulating, but at the same time, it's it's benefiting you as well as an individual because you know you have your goals, and it's so important to have those goals there. And whether it's a short course Olympic distance right through where I'm in. It doesn't matter, you know, just testing your body out and then, you know, having people that you can bounce, you know, ideas off and feedback and, and bits and pieces. And then it's really just a race within yourself because, you know, I, I've got no desire to go and be an elite triathlete. You know, I'll have enough trouble in my age group, you know, finishing top 20. But, you know, it, that's not what it's about for me. It's it's about the pure enjoyment of, of the training and, and meeting new people and then, you know, the excitement of race day as well and the build-up to race day. I love racing. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're racers, Greg, and, you know, to get those butterflies and the nerves, you know, I, I just I don't think I'll ever lose that feeling. And, um, you know, it's, it's such a buzz for me and it's so exciting. That's the best feeling in in the world, isn't it? It's one of the reasons I've enjoyed doing a little bit of um, speaking, public speaking, just to get that real. 
I love all those nerves and that energy, you know, and you, you visualize the helicopter flying above and the crowd behind you and being on the start line with everything on the line. It's like that, that feeling, that rush is just yeah. absolutely incredible, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I kind of touches, I want to chat to you about some of your, your mental strategies and, and I guess starting off with how are you able to stay as grounded as you are and as humble as you are when you had such success as a young man? Cause you often, you often see it go the other way, you know, with tremendous success at, you know, 15, 16, 17, like you had, how were you able to stay so grounded? Um, I don't know. I got a good mum. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, very supporting, um, just an amazing family, I guess. Um, Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like you know, great. We didn't grow up with much, um, and you just you got to never forget that as well. Um, I guess hmm. it's one of those things you, you you never forget your grassroots and and you know how you grew up. And I had so many people go out of their way to help me and to get to where I was. You know, I could have never done it on my own, um, and that I'll never forget either. And you know, yeah, it's it's funny that when you say that because you do. You do see some guys, you know, come through and they burst on the scene and, you know, they're superstars and then they get, yeah, I don't know, they kind of lose themselves. They get a bit big, big, bit big for their shoes and um, mm. it's never nice. You, know, you see straight through it, right? Um, but, you know, what's nice is being able to take the time out for anyone at the end of the day and, you know, help people if they need to and, and it's kind of trying to give back to sport as well. Because sports mm. given me so much, it's, it's you know I'm in a position now where you know I can give back, and mm. you know I, I'm I'm not scared to hide my secrets anymore and my tricks of the trade. You know I'm I'm happy to share them, and you know if people want to ask me questions, by all means I'm happy to sit down and and talk to them about it. So um, you know I, I guess your your priorities in life change as as you get a little bit older. Where, where, where did the confidence come from? Because there has to be that sense, that real confidence that you belong at the top of the world or the top of the sport that you're in. Were, were you always a, a fairly confident kid? I think it's just hard work, Greg. Uh, you know, you you look at you look at your blocks of training that you do, and then you know your periods because. You know, you know, you if you're sick this week, or if you're lazy, or you slept in, um, you can kind of look back on all that, and you get to race day and go, you know, you start questioning yourself, and and that's when you want to get to race day and go. You look back at the last, you know, sixteen week block. What have I missed? You know, have I done that full sixteen weeks? How's my preparation been? Um, and I generally like doing that. Um, you know, I'll generally look back and go, well, hang on a second. You know, these nerves are good nerves. As soon as the gun goes. Those nerves are gone and then you go into race mode. Um, these nerves are a good thing because you know you've done the work and, um, you know, that's always a satisfying feeling. You know, I always get satisfied at that feeling knowing that I can sort of look back and go, you know, a day out and I start visualising about the race you know, or the morning of and I'm like I, I, I often look back and go, how's my last 16 weeks been? You know, how's this preparation been? How's my training block been? You know, has everything gone smoothly? If it hasn't gone smoothly, how did I bounce back from that? You know, was I back into my normal routine and hitting my splits and my times and my routines, you know, daily? Um, and that's generally how I like to break things down. Um, again, it's it's a science and I guess I'm finding that even more so with triathlon 
at the moment with you know, the bike riding and, and the running. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with the running at the moment, but it's a, you know, a slow and steady course. And, you know, I'm, I'm in no rush with that because, you know, I feel like, you know, that, that distance I can do for a very long time and, and it's always going to be there. Mm. You mentioned visualising. Uh, are you visualising um, a race a long time out or just the day before, as you mentioned? And what does that, is that a step process that you do? How does that work for you? Yeah, gen- generally I'll have, well, it depends what sport I'm talking about. Um, let's, say, <laughs> yeah. let's, say it's, let's say it's Ironman racing. What I did, and I guess it's very similar to, uh, to triathlon Ironman and triathlon as well. So surf Ironman racing, if I did a 16-week block, uh, I would generally have a couple of races prior to that. Um, you know, I would work through those races anyway. I'd train through, through them. I wouldn't taper for those races. And so that, they're just building blocks to see you know, where my fitness is at. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I always look at the goal of um, having, you know, the pinnacle races during the year and so how many are they and then how much preparation I have leading into that race. Um, what do I need to do? When do I need to back off? You know, how do I need to listen to my body? Um, you know, when do I stop drinking <laughs> prior to that race? Um, you know, what am I eating? You know, how am I feeling my body, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's, it constantly goes through my head. I always think about it. You know, I, the f- four races have been locked in for next year. Um, you know, the first one being in April for Sal GP. Mate, that, that's already in my head. You know, how am I preparing for that? When do I need to start nailing, you know, getting back into the gym and, and doing, you know, four days a week on the pedestal and then, you know, three days a week on my paddling? You know, how am I going to juggle that with running and riding? How will that work? You know, will I lose too much weight? How am I going to manage that? You know, it, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a game. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, but it's my life as well. So, uh, you know, it keeps me sane and it keeps me honest and, um, you know, I like that. And, and again, that, that comes back to goals. You know, I think it's so important no matter what field you're in to, to always have goals and, and aspirations for you to set your mind and, and focus your, your thoughts and, and your sight on um, mm-hmm. because it, it, it keeps you in check. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I often ask the guests and some of the doctors that I've had on, you know, the effects of visualizing. And I had a doctor, Dr. Tommy Wood, um, you know, probably three or four months ago now, but this guy's just absolutely brilliant, you know, undergrad at Cambridge University, postgrad at Oxford University, just absolutely incredible, smart guy. And and I was asking him about visualizing and, and, and what kind of effects it has on you physically. And he said, you know, the science is there that says, you know, what you think has a direct effect on your physiology, Mm. you know, that you actually are affecting hormones. I always love the story of, you know, I would always lie on a massage table and be visualizing the race coming up, go through the the warm up, the swim, the bike, the run, exactly how I want to, you know, want to feel and be. And, And I laugh about it because it was like I was having a direct effect. I was kind of training. I was affecting myself physically. Yeah. while I was doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I wasn't doing nothing. That's kind of the point of it. And that the, the, the powerful impact that you can do. And that's, I think, the future of sport here is I think we're going to start tapping more and more into what can we do with the mind that will affect us right. physically. Now, don't get me wrong. I Like you, it's you've you got to have the goal. You've got to put the, the plan in place. You've got to do the work. 
you got to have the work and you got to have, if you want to be the best in the world, there's obviously some talent and genetics yeah. in line with all of that. But layering in the, the, the visualizing and the, the affirmations and all of that kind of thing is absolutely fantastic. I want to touch on nutrition because for you now with the weight being an issue, yeah. how are you managing your nutrition? Are you finding you're having to eat a lot more than you normally would? And, and what kind of foods are you doing to try and keep that weight on? Yeah, um, with Bermuda, I, I think I went into Bermuda at about 88 kilos. And um, so I was still pretty light and they wanted me at 94 kilos. So for me, and especially with the amount of endurance training I was sort of doing at the time, uh, we, we were so lucky. We had everything catered for us. We had chefs and and it was amazing. And uh, for me, it was just a matter of trying to eat and eat the right food so I could get a little bit bigger. Um, it, it's funny, like, you know, I'm, uh, I, I think I eat pretty well anyway. Um, you know, I, I do have a tendency to eat a lot. But, you know, for, for instance, for dinner tonight, you know, I had a salad with a whole heap of nuts in there and a couple of eggs and, you know, that was my dinner. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. As long as you're fueling your body with all the right things, I, I don't think for me it doesn't doesn't really matter. I guess for triathlon it, it's a little bit different because the lighter you are, that's that, that real power-to-weight ratio, um, you know, when you're, especially on the bike of the run. Um but yeah, I, man, as far as my diet goes, I think you know I, I eat relatively well. Um, you know, I've I've had my phases and my times where you know I've done the full you know carnivore thing and I've just eaten meat, <laughs> you know, a kilo a day of meat, and uh, 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 you know, and that worked. I got really lean and strong, and but I just don't. It wasn't sustainable. I, I don't, nah. don't. And now I hardly ever eat meat, and so it's really funny. I think I might have just burnt myself out for me <laughs> meat. but you know on the odd occasion I, I think I had a steak a week and a, a week ago for the first time in a really long time and it, you know it tasted amazing um but it's you know I don't I don't eat it a lot um but yeah it's you know trying to eat the right things and you know the, the sweet potatoes we have a lot of sweet potato and you know, a lot of salads and you know and and other types of meat besides red meat well, a lot of it's uh, listening to yourself, isn't it? I've I, I found that, um, you know, over over time, my wife, Laura, who I think you know as well, was also a professional yeah. athlete. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what she would want to eat versus what I needed to feel like, I, you know, I felt like I needed more carbs and she was more heavily focused on the protein because she lost muscle quicker than I did. Yeah. You know, we both sort of started to figure it out. And and it was interesting because I had um, Dr. Ara Sapaya on, and a fascinating guy uh, last week on the podcast, and he – basically works with all the top professional golfers and top tennis players. He's a, he's a functional sports medicine doctor and his background is absolutely incredible. Yeah. But we were talking about nutrition and he says, look, you've got to look at ancestral health. Right. You've got to look at an the ancestors. Where do they come from? He said, look, I'm Malaysian with an Indian background. So yeah. we're, we're right on the equator. We tend to eat a lot more carbohydrates and right. that's how we have to work. He said, if you're from Scandinavia, mm. you tend to have a need for more fats in your diet, in, in your ancestral. It's actually really extraordinary. Yeah. I think I think that's the future of nutrition yeah. as we start to dissect our genetics and, and our DNA to figure out what we actually need. But, you know, you and I in our careers, yeah, it was all, okay, we have to go by, by feel. Um, yeah. I, for one, always felt like I, I always needed to drop a little bit of weight. Yeah. But I think that was more like I had a bit of um, 
a bit of a disorder going on, if anything. Yeah. I think I always felt like I was the fat kid. <laughs> and then I look back at photos now and I'm like, dude, no, you had something seriously wrong with you, you know? Uh, so, but, uh, but I think there is a lot more education out there now on, yeah. you know, science. nutrition and, yeah. and, and the science and, yeah. and general health. Yeah. And, and everyone, everyone's different, you know, one diet, certainly like, like you said with your wife and it's the same with mine, you know, Katie and I, we, you know, we, we eat differently and, and generally when we do have a sal- salad at night, I'll add meat or a protein source where she won't, um, she will every couple of other nights or she'll eat her fish uh, every now and then. But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it reacts differently with different people and it's just trying to find that happy medium and what works for you, um, you know, how it fits, how it works the next day, you know, how do you sleep that night with what you've just eaten. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a real science, but, yeah, trying to get it right, it's n- never an easy one, is it? Yeah. Mate, well, we've covered a lot here. There's a few things I just want to I want to wrap up with you. What, what, so what's next for you? The Sale GP is happening next April, you said. What are the four races that have lined up for next year? Um, so, yeah, the, the first one is um, in San Francisco, our first race uh, with Sale oh, GP, uh, end of April. And then oh, we maybe go come over to check you guys out. Yeah. Nice. And then we go to New York for our second race, which is about mm. six weeks later, eight weeks later. Uh, and then we're off to the UK for the round three. And then Copenhagen for round four. Um, and then rounds five, six, and seven beyond um, are still in the works. And so I'm not sure what's happening there, but I, I feel there'll be a, a race in New Zealand and, and Australia at least uh, after those four somewhere at wow. some stage. Gee, that's a lot of travel, mate. Do you get you get home in between or do you base someone well, this, over? This is the question and, and this is what we what hasn't been discussed and I guess it won't be discussed until much closer to the date of what happens mm-hmm. between our races. Um, you know, do we come home and then do I have to quarantine for two weeks? You know, our rules oh. in Australia are ludicrous, you, as you know, and that, that's why you're, yeah. you're in the US at the moment. Yeah, you can't, no, we can't get home. <laughs> family is that... You don't want to sit yeah. in a hotel. What, do I, what am I going to do in a hotel for two weeks? You know, I can sit on the wind. As long as I've got a wind trainer, a yeah. treadmill, a grinding <laughs> pedestal and some maybe swim pullies, mate, I'm good. <laughs> uh, and, and the ability to go, I just want to go outside for yeah. a few minutes yeah. each day. That was the thing that, you know, we have a two-year-old and a nine-month-old, as I was telling you before the show, and I can't have those two little ones inside for two weeks with no vitamin D and no, no fresh air. I was like, right. nuts. So um, yeah, that's, that's on the cards at the moment. And then I do have my eyes on a 70 point in March. So uh, we will see. <laughs> Wait, which one is that? Um, I, I think it's called the Tweed Enduro I'm thinking about. Um, it's the nor- Northern New South Wales race. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's up on the website at the moment. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm slowly chipping away, so. Uh, oh, you'll be fine, mate. The, the, the one thing is you, you know yourself, you know your body, you know how to fuel, you know how to pace. You, I think once an athlete, it doesn't matter what sport you go over, you've proven that. You've already done three sports at the highest level in the world. Um, I don't think you're going to have a problem somehow pacing yourself through a 70.3 Ironman. This one's um, purely for fun and, and just, of course. Uh, you know, it, it's just training and uh yeah, mate, I've, I've been wanting to do one ever since, you know, our days running around back in the 90s. So, you know, watching all you guys and aspiring to be just like you guys, it's fun. Oh, 
finally, but I blink my, you know, I've clicked my fingers and here we are, almost 40. I'm like, what have I done? I haven't even done a triathlon. Are you kidding me? What am I? Well, you know what's funny? I, I got it. I haven't shared it. I haven't shared it yet, but I, 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 I'm going to share it. So I used to, before races, talking about visualizing everything else, I used to have Kai Hurst on a little CD thing that I would take and, and watch you swimming before I would do workouts or even before races. And in my head, I would visualize your stroke and, and I was swimming exactly like you. So yeah, yeah, I always loved your stroke. It was kind of one that suited the way I kind of swam, you know, in my mind. Yeah. It's like I, I visualize running like a Kenyan as well, yeah. which I totally didn't. But the visualization was always fantastic. Yeah, so. <laughs> it helps. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's yeah. you know, with swimming, it's a, it's a funny thing. It's, you know, it's it's all about balance in the hips and, uh, you know, nice loose ankles and, and then the cat yeah. at the front of your pool. And, uh, yeah, and then open water again, it's, uh, it's a tricky one because, you know, not a lot of people can swim straight. And uh, it's about using the other people around you that are slightly quicker and using their energy so you can get through the race, so you can come out of your triathlon swim, you know, feeling good and fresh and actually swimming much quicker than you did before. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, oh, that's cool. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, that's what I also got to add. Um, you're talking about doing Ironman and triathlon. Kane Eckstein, uh, also one of Australia's greatest, you know, surf Ironman races, he um, – he gave Ironman a crack. He even he qualified for Kona Ironman. Right? Yeah, he, he, yeah. he broke the course record uh, in the swim, but I think he pulled out with an ankle injury in the run. Yeah, he had an injury. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah little whip it, mate. The guy's a weapon. <laughs> mate, he's, he doesn't have the world record for chin ups as well. Yeah, yeah, twenty four hours. Is it twenty four hours of chin up? I don't know. I don't know. It's something ridiculous. It's crazy. That's it's awesome, mate. Yeah, it's that's a- awesome, mate. <laughs> mate, well, this has been absolutely what a treat, what a joy. Because I am a huge fan, so it's kind of um, you know, it's one of the things I've loved about having this show is just getting the opportunity to talk to some of my, you know people that are heroes to me, you know. So I really appreciate you coming on. Where, where can people follow you and, and what's your journey going forward? Oh, geez, I, I hardly post, but I'm sometimes I'm on social media, uh, Instagram, <laughs> that's right. I guess. That, that's about it. Uh, no, yeah. mate, that's, that's about it. Sometimes I make right. SRGP Instagram posts and, yeah, I'll, I'll, po- I'll randomly post every now and then, but uh, <laughs> that's a bit, No, I get it. Not, not massive. Mate, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. And, Anytime, and, mate. Well, such an honor. And yeah, I stoked that you asked me to be on, Greg. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. And all the best to your family. You got an eight-year-old and a three or four-year-old. You yeah, said three-year-old. She's she's a hurry. I should have called a hurricane. <laughs> oh my! God. Are they into the water sports like you? Oh, she's like a little mermaid. She's a fish. I can't yeah. get her out of the water. She's, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's nuts. She's, I, mate, I sometimes get really worried because she'll go under and she won't come up again, and she yeah. just hold her breath for so long. It freaks me That's out. Awesome. That's wow, like, oh, gosh. But yeah, there. Oh, I have to ask you: Have you ever been tested, like your VO two max or anything, or, or the size of your heart? I mean, is there any? Do you have any science? <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think my my lung literage last time I checked it before two thousand eight was ten point two liters, which I thought was quite abnormal. It's quite abnormal. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I think my, I wonder if you, might help, I guess. <laughs> it, it might help. 
be able to pu- push oxygen around the body. Yeah. Move yeah. it. Yeah. Where I, need. I love it. <laughs> I love it, mate. Well, again, thanks for coming on. Look, for everybody listening, um, you can go to bennettendurance.com forward slash media for all the show notes, timestamps, coupon codes, and and all the links to, to Kai. And you can follow the, the Sale GP journey next year, obviously cheering for Team Australia. Thanks. Yep. <laughs> uh, mate, it's been a thrill. Thanks, thanks awesome. and, and stay on the line, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers, Greg. Cheers. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.